In today's episode, I speak with Sinead Smith, a couples therapist and master trainer in Gottman Method Couples Therapy. Sinead is based in California and is the clinical director of the East Bay Relationship Center, while also training clinicians in the US and Europe in Gottman Method Couples Therapy. Sinead explains how the Gottman Method Couples Therapy emerged and took shape through four decades of scientific research. As part of this research, consistent patterns were discovered that differentiated happy versus unhappy couples. These included the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four most significant predictors of breakdowns in relationships. Sinead goes through the antidotes to the four horsemen, what types of couples do better in conflict, some differences between men and women in relationships, and her golden rule for a successful relationship. Hope you enjoy. Hi Sinead, thanks for joining me today. Hi James, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Today we're going to talk about uh, Gottman Method Couples Therapy. Uh, it would be great if you could start by just giving us an introduction into what that is. Sure, yeah. So uh, Gottman Method Couples Therapy is a research-based uh, form of couples therapy. It's, a, you know, psychotherapy, talk therapy. And um, it's sort of, the, ther- the therapy itself is based on a theory that was developed from the research done by Dr. John Gottman and others, you know, over the last almost 50 years now with thousands of couples um, in about eight, eight or nine longitudinal studies, some that have gone on, you know, as long as 20 years. Um, so the research was basically done with no hypothesis to it. So when they started to do the research, um, which was done in the University of Washington and before that in the University of um, Indiana, uh, they just were going to observe couples over time to see if they could detect any patterns that would predict good or bad outcomes with these couples. And so when the time that research got started, you know, which is in the 70s, there was a lot of funding uh, for that type of research, you know, which is really completely dried up now. But um, when the research got started, this is sort of what they wanted to do. They observed couples. They have had couples self-report you know talk about what issues they were having they measured their physiology uh so they would wire them up to all these gizmos to see if their hearts rate heart rates would escalate when they were having conflict that kind of thing so they put information together from the physiological measures the observational measures and the self-report um and sort of found that there were patterns in couples over time that would sort of tell you if a couple was on a good trajectory or a bad one and then sort of using those patterns they developed a theory uh, of relationships and then from the theory they developed the therapy the form of therapy which has a lot of you know different interventions based on what issues the couple is sort of struggling with any particular couple is struggling with so the main the main thing that distinguishes it from a lot of different types of couples therapy is really sort of this sort of solid and deep research base. So it was really built from the ground up. From, really from the ground up, yeah. And what was Doc, Dr. Gottman's background? Was he a therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist? He, uh, so he's actually a mathematician. Uh, by trade so very interested like a big brain guy you know very interested in patterns game theory equations all of that kind of stuff so his background was really was in mathematics 
he actually wrote a book called The Mathematics of Marriage, where he breaks down sort of relationship interactions into algebraic equations, which, you know, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody unless you want to have a migraine, you know, when you're reading it. But, um, you know, he was a mathematician first and then became a psychologist. Which must have come in handy when you're working with as much data as he would have compiled. Exactly, exactly. So the first thing was that they noticed patterns and then from those patterns they made theories about what you can do with that. Maybe if you could divulge what what those patterns were. Sure. So, um, you know, the first sort of real set of patterns that emerged from the data were uh, negative patterns of interactions in couples that they could really used to print you know they tested the patterns to see if they were predictive of anything and so the first set of patterns that emerged were negative interactions between partners uh, that would predict if a couple was going to divorce with to 96 percent accuracy which is sort of scary when you think of it but but helpful as well so these are um you know things that people do partners do in conflict uh, that will escalate negativity. And those patterns were the first ones to emerge that would say this couple is really sort of on a, on a bad trajectory without, you know, without intervention, this couple is really going to be on a bad trajectory. And then the later patterns that emerged were uh, more sort of positive patterns of interaction. Uh, so in terms of the couple's friendship, what people were actually doing that would predict good outcomes. So, you know, it was both sort of negative patterns emerged first as the biggest predictors of whether the relationship would sort of succeed or fail. And then later data was, you know, the, the positive patterns emerged. These negative patterns, were they behavioral, kind of cognitive? Were they like actions or ways that people would perceive things? You know... A, a bit of all of it, James. Um, so the, many of your uh, listeners might be familiar because this has sort of been out in the culture now for many years of pattern, the negative patterns that were identified called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And um, these are the four biggest predictors of relationship breakdown in conflict. And they are criticism, defensiveness, contempt and stonewalling. They were the, the they're they're still the top four predictors of relationship breakdown and conflict breakdown, and the reason that they're so problematic is that they escalate negativity between partners. So what they found in the research was that couples arguing or sort of fighting back and forth wasn't necessarily predictive of good or bad outcomes. So anger isn't necessarily a bad thing in relationships, but when you put the four horsemen into a fight. It, what it does is it sort of jacks up the anger levels and jacks up the negativity and just really brings it to a very bad place very quickly. Um, and so the, those four patterns are, you know, particularly toxic. But another pattern that they found is in couples that do poorly with conflict and do poorly over time is that one or both partners can get flooded very easily in an argument. So their physiology actually you know, escalate. So if you find yourself in an argument where your heart rate is going up, you might get, you know, your palms, or your hands might get sweaty. You find yourself moving around a lot, jiggling around a lot. Um, you repeat yourself over and over again. That's sort of a, a sign of somebody being flooded. 
So it's sort of accompanied by a physiological response. And that pattern is also problematic um, over time. So, I mean, it's not that, the, I mean, there are things that you do to work with all of these patterns, but these are sort of the things that emerged first in terms of negativity. So sort of in essence, I would say in answer to your question that um, what they found was sort of people that are do poorly in their relationships tend to be very harsh with conflict. They escalate negativity, they may get flooded, uh, they may sort of shut down, um, you know, they can, they just are sort of just harsher in conflict. Whereas couples that do well over time tend to have a much gentler approach with each other in conflict. So that, and that, that encompasses sort of a lot of different of the types of patterns that you're talking about, both behavioral, cognitive, you know, interaction, emotional, mm. emotional. Yeah. 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 And I guess you're alluding to some of those positive patterns as well then, Sinead, when you talk about couples that are gentler with each other. Right, right. Those couples that do better in conflict tend to be able to accept a lot of influence from each other. So it's not that they necessarily agree with each other, but they could say, they could acknowledge that their partners made a valid point, for example. So that would be sort of accepting influence. They can keep things pretty calm. They can sort of self-soothe if they're getting, if they're starting to get flooded. Um, they can also, and this was a sort of a really important thing that they noticed, those couples that do well in conflict tend to be able to repair very well. So a repair is really anything that pulls a conversation back from the brink. You know, so if say you and I are getting into a fight, if you say to me, you know, just give me, let, let me just rephrase that. I shouldn't have said it. That would be a repair. Or if I say, you know, oh gosh, I'm sorry I said that. Let me just take that back. That would be a repair. Anything that kind of taps the brakes on a conflict um, is, is a really good skill. And so they were sort of able to see that this was something that distinguished what they call the masters of relationship from the disasters of the relationship, you know, like the masters are really able to repair very well. And they do have, they can sort of bring some positivity into their conflict. So the repair being, I guess, similar in psychotherapy, you might call it a therapeutic relationship or having ruptures in the therapeutic relationship. And there are opportunities to build to show that we can, we can disagree, but I can try and make up for it or I can exactly. try to apologize. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly exactly yeah. yeah so if they were some well i guess at least the negative patterns were what they noticed first yeah or the, the the patterns and then the theory of relationship did that come next well so the theory really came from the research and then the therapy actually was based on the um on the theory so what happened was uh john gottman and his wife uh married julie gottman who's a psychologist and uh, Julie sort of was more the clinical person. She was working with a lot of couples and individual clients at the time that a lot of the data started to come out, you know, as the studies were winding down. And it was really Julie that encouraged John to develop a theory based on his research. You know, he was really all about the research. He wasn't really about doing therapy so much. So she was the one that uh, sort of encouraged him to build the theory. And the, the, the theory that they came up with is called the sound relationship house model. And in essence, what the theory is, is, um, is sort of in, in three parts. One, uh, what, then again, this is directly coming from the research, 
is that couples that do well over time tend to have a strong friendship. And because it's research-based, friendship has specific, they can sort of break it down, basically, what is a friendship, you know? So it's not my idea or your idea or Oprah Winfrey's idea, you know, of what makes a friendship. It's actually taken from what they saw with these couples. So So they have a strong friendship. They manage conflict well, you know, and then they also have a sense of shared meaning in their relationship, which means that they're sort of together being intentional about things that they're creating in the relationship, like rituals, traditions, um, you know, do they support each other's life dreams? How do they mesh their values, goals, beliefs together? That kind of thing. So it's really sort of the theory is about friendship, conflict and shared meaning. And then later research that emerged um, it sort of has as the side kind of pillars of that house, if you will, um, a high level of trust relationships that are working well there's a high measure of trust between the partners and there's also high levels of commitment uh, between them so that is that's kind of the theory it's um yeah it all makes a lot of sense it sounds like solid foundations for a relation to, to be built on and right <clears throat> yeah what do you do with that Sinead? how does that inform the therapeutic approach yeah so um, so the thing is, you know, if somebody comes in to me as a Gottman therapist, the first thing, and this is kind of different than a lot of traditional couples therapy, is that we always do an assessment first with the couple, a relationship assessment. And so really our assessment is about, and I can go into more detail about what that looks like if you like, but really what we're assessing is what, yeah, what's the strength of their friendship? How do they manage conflict? Do they have a sense of shared meaning and are there levels of trust and commitment between them? So we're assessing them through the lens of that sound relationship house theory. Um, and so I can tell you how we do that, if you would like, what the assessment yeah, looks like. Yeah. So um, so this is sort of traditional Gottman couples therapy. Um, so the couple comes in, both partners come into a first session. Uh, we would get both of their perspectives as to what's currently going on and then we look at their relationship history we'd have them sort of tell their story about how the relationship went for them over time we have them talk about a current area of disagreement in that first session where we actually measure their physiology using sort of like a pulse check or a pulse oximeter something like that to see how their physiology responds when we direct them to have a conflict discussion. So we're sort of doing a mini version of the research in that first session with the couple. Um, We're looking at everything that really plays a role. So after that first session, they each fill out a packet of questionnaires. They can do those online. Again, looking for a big broad brush, everything that that they, uh, you know, all the ways in which they're interacting, areas of conflict, uh, particular topics that they might struggle with, things like that. And so then after they do the questionnaires, we do one individual visit with each partner. And we talk about, you know, each individual's family history and background. We're sort of looking there at sort of attachment style. Uh, we're looking at any other factors that may be playing a role, such as if one person really doesn't want to stay in the relationship but is kind of going through the motions of the couple's therapy. So we're trying to flesh out any ambivalence that that either partner has. Um, 
And then when we have the information back from those individual visits and the first joint visit with the partners and we have the questionnaires back, we kind of give them feedback then through the lens of the sound relationship house as to where we think the work would need to be focused. So for some couples that they may need a lot of work on the friendship and not so much on conflict, you know, um, on the other hand, other couples that have very escalated conflict, we may be starting there with the couple. So before we ever do any kind of intervention or treatment, we always do take the time to do the full assessment with each couple because we want to really rule out things that they don't need to sort of spend their time and money, you know, on in couples therapy, things that they're doing well enough on their own and just really focus in on the issues that we know from the research excuse me, that we know from the research are actually problematic, you know? So it it's, it gives you more of a focus really upfront for the, for the therapy. It's like an assessment in what we might call in CBT, a formulation, you know, what are some yes. of the parts that might be worth working on? And yeah. I guess as part of that assessment, does it mean that some people aren't considered really suitable that you might say that I'm not sure how helpful this will be? Um, You know, some couples will come in saying, um, I had this happen earlier this week, a couple coming in that are separated, that that are looking to reconcile, but are saying like, we don't really know if, if we have it in us to try. So we did the assessment and sort of were able to pull out strengths that they had, but also sort of being realistic about the challenges ahead. So it's not really as the therapist, uh, you know, our job to say, this isn't going to work for you. It's our job to say, here's here's what is working in your relationship. Here's what isn't. There are things that we can possibly help you to do, improve with the things that aren't working. But at the end of the day, it's it's their call about whether they want to do it. With, with, with two exceptions, one is obviously if there's characterological domestic violence happening, then that couple is not suitable for any type of couples therapy, never mind, you know, Gottman method. So if there's characterological domestic violence, the other, if there's an ongoing affair, uh, we wouldn't take that couple into couples therapy until the affair situation is resolved. You know, if somebody really has is done with the affair, it's disclosed all of that, then we would see the couple in treatment, but not not before then. I know it's couples therapy, but with the changing of times and relationships becoming more polyamorous. Is that something that you see or you might have? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So we have sort of every type of kind of relationship, you know, that comes in. So, you know, it's important to say that this research was not done with polyamorous relationships. And there's there's very, very little research has ever been done with polyamory. But what we would do uh, with you know, with relationships, which and we've certainly seen that here, um, is that a lot of the concepts that, you know, are part of Gottman Method Couples Therapy will apply to many different types of relationships, you know. So, for example, the conflict management skills piece of it is going to be helpful no matter what type of relationship you're in, you know. So we can use it, we can use it in that way. It's not to say that only, you know, you know, a two partner relationship is, is suitable. Um, but there are, there are certainly ways that it applies across the board. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, some of the, the concepts that can be used in it. Are, were they built from the ground up too? Or were they, are, are they drawn from other therapies? 
they're drawn from a lot of other different therapies. I mean, the thing, one of the things that I like about this approach is that it's, you know, it integrates a lot of different types of therapy. So it does integrate, you know, emotion focused therapy and inter, um, you know, it incorporates sort of existential couples therapy when we're talking about shared meaning, you know, some cognitive behavioral, behavioral interaction patterns. What it does really is sort of merge uh, research with other clinical concepts, you know, so some of the interventions that we use, you know, are, are similar to interventions that might be used in other types of therapy. Like, for example, you know, a speaker listener model where, you know, people do do some active listening uh, that's used in across, you know, different types of therapy. So, you know, it doesn't have to be really a standalone type of therapy. You could have really any, you know, coming from any sort of theoretical place, you know, you can probably integrate, uh, you can probably integrate it into your work. And so I guess the, the, the listening skills would be kind of part of communication. How can we become better communicators, like the act yeah. of listening? Yeah. Um, if we could maybe think about, if we could maybe talk us through some more of the techniques, uh, Sinead, maybe if we think of an area that could be, uh, where there could be room for improvement and the type of things you might look like, look at, um, for that particular area. Yeah. So, well, so if we, if we're, for example, talking about conflict, so if we have a couple that has four horsemen, you know, that, that, those patterns. So either criticism, defensiveness, contempt, stonewalling. Um, we sort of work with the antidotes to those things with the couple. So for somebody that's critical, for example, we would have them just describe themselves what they feel about a situation and ask for something that they do need as opposed to sort of blasting the partner for what the partner's doing wrong. So talk about yourself, sort of be, talk about how you feel rather than what your partner's doing wrong is kind of the antidote to criticism. You know, the antidote to defensiveness would be to have that defensive partner take some responsibility for at least a part of the problem, sort of coaching them there, you know. Uh, contempt is sort of like the antidote to criticism is really to talk about yourself, not about the other person and say the antidote to stonewalling is, is like working with flooding, you know, helping the person kind of calm themselves down to be able to engage in the conflict. So the therapist is sort of in the role as a, as a coach almost, you know, like uh, sort of teaching skills, conflict skills. Um, so that would be one example of conflict. Within the friendship system, um, you know, one of the things we talk about in the friendship system is sort of cultivating more of a positive habit of mind about your partner. So the idea with this is that if you're looking for what your partner's doing right as opposed to what they're doing wrong, what you're doing there is you're kind of building an emotional bank account. Um, so you're putting sort of positive deposits into your relationship. And so kind of the, one of the techniques there is sort of a mindfulness practice about cueing each partner to really sort of maybe journal what they noticed was going right and then to have them express that to their partner. Um, you know, yeah, for, for, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say so much of what you say there, uh, Sinead, sounds very relevant to CBT or you could, there's a CBT 
tilt yeah. to it. So let's yeah. say how you frame things when it comes to criticism. Um, uh, it's like you make me feel like this rather than you are a bad person or you are stupid or whatever it might be. Right, um, yeah. Uh, the self-regulation that can come with calming down or the mental yeah. filtering, you might call it, in yeah. CBT. So we only kind of filter in so much information like, oh, you're late again or you forgot to do this. When in reality, yeah. there's it's there's probably a lot more to that person than yeah. just that what you're being filtered through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's it's like not to say that, you know, with this sort of fondness and admiration piece or looking for the good, that problems don't exist. It's problems do exist. And there is more than that that exists. And some of it is positive. And so trying to sort of dig into that a bit more and sort of being mindful of that. But, you know, there's like there's a lot of different techniques. Some of them are a bit like sort of more like attachment work in terms of recognizing if your partner's trying to connect with you, how do you respond to that? You know, so sort of being mindful of how the partner tries to connect and then how do you want to respond? You know, um, it, for couples say that don't f- like feel like they haven't asked each other a question about a non-logistical thing in 10 years, you know, we have them ask each other open-ended questions. Um, so, and there's sort of a whole uh, you know, there's different sort of techniques around that. There's card decks, there's worksheets, there's in the office, you know, sort of coaching them to do that type of work. So th- these are just kind of a few things just to do with the friendship and the and the conflict that, you know, I could just think off the top of my head, these are things that we work on all the time. So very practical skills based. Well, that's Very practical. Yeah, very, very practical, yeah. You know, some of these patterns that you mentioned, the negative patterns or maybe even positive patterns. Do you notice any kind of gender differences for either of these? Do Does one gender maybe engage in one more than the other? Or is it pretty even across the board? Uh, well, you know, what we see with the conflict stuff, uh, th- there are certain patterns. Um, for example, with the four horsemen, what you see in heterosexual relationships is sort of women... Um, being more critical and men being more defensive and the reason for that really is is nothing more than women tend to bring up the issues in relationships more than men tend to i mean that's a generalization so if somebody is sort of bringing up an issue and they feel like they're getting shut down a lot they will sort of escalate into criticism Uh, So we do see that pattern with criticism defensiveness, which is not to say that women are not defensive or men are not critical, but it is kind of something that we do tend to see. And we also see with stonewalling in heterosexual relationships that about 84% of our stonewallers are men. And um, the thinking around that is men just sort of physiologically tend to get flooded more they tend to they tend to get more physiologically sort of stirred up in conflict and so oftentimes what they'll do in response to that is just sort of kind of shut down so it looks like the lights on but nobody's home you know but the problem with it is that the partner sees that as them being sort of tuned out or shut out and they they will escalate in response to it so you know a lot of sort of stonewalling stuff you see with men you do also see it with women. It's just really important to say that. I don't want to kind of put people into silos here, but, um, you know, that's, that is something that we do see, um, you know, in terms of the conflict stuff. In terms of the friendship stuff, um, not, there's not really a gender difference that we see. We see based on people's sort of family history and background. 
um, them sort of and their attachment style really, um, you know how their friendship will go. I could imagine their attachment style being so important in it because the problem is a um, interpersonal problem, and our interpersonal uh, dynamics will be shaped so heavily by our attachment figures at an early age. Yeah. Yeah, but it, there is a bit of a myth out there, you know, that women are kind of more emotional and, uh, you know, than men. And and actually research shows that there's very, very slight difference. So the men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing doesn't actually hold up. You know, there's the women are slightly, use slightly more emotion words, you know, in a conversation than men do. So, um so there's that. I think it's but probably has a lot to do with the you know more kind of jet or attachment styles, like you said. Well, they're a lot more similar than we are different. Although there does seem to be a bit of a theme about men not really being as talkative or bringing bringing stuff up as much. So whether it's not bringing up stuff in the first place or or shutting down. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I've never worked with couples. Although sometimes I've, I've had it like, say, single sessions where you might have someone, their partner might be in there, which can be helpful to get their side of things. But I, uh, we spoke about this before and I find it very kind of, not sure is intimidating the right word, but it seems that well, it's certainly a lot to take in at once. Uh, I, I would love to, I'd love to hear your take on what it's like working with couples versus individuals and the, the, how different it is and maybe some of those most pronounced differences. Yeah, yeah. Somebody, I read something there uh, a while back with a therapist that was sort of daunted by doing couples therapy and she started and she said working with couples is like trying to pilot a helicopter in a hurricane. You know, like you really don't know what you're going to get, you know, when people, uh, you know, when people are in your office. So you're really working with the relationship between the two of them. You're working with the dynamic between the two partners as opposed to, you know, obviously having one person in the office uh, with you. And so it tends to be uh, lively. You know, I'll say it tends to be very lively. The thing with Gottman Method Therapy, too, is that we are trying to have it so that the partners are talking to each other rather than talking to the therapist. So we're kind of in the role of coach a bit, you know, directing them to talk to each other, having them really get into not just sort of talk about how their week went, but get into sort of real areas of conflict in the session so that if it doesn't go well, we can sort of step in and redirect it. So you you kind of have to be okay with being very involved and sort of being directive with people, you know, um, and, and sort of having a bit of a tough skin as well, you know, if, uh, you know, it, because sometimes people aren't going to like what you have to say sometimes. So it's, um, it's a different, it's a different animal for sure. I did individual therapy for many years before switching to couples therapy. Uh, I just, I really enjoy the kind of liveliness of it. And also sort of when you see a couple make a breakthrough together, it's so much more powerful than you as the therapist sort of making that happen or sort of, you know, uh, I don't really know how to describe this, but if a couple can sort of make a breakthrough together in the office, then they can do that outside of the office. And so the idea with the Gottman method is really we're trying to give them, give them, um, you know, skills or methods or techniques to use with us that then they continue to use outside of the office. So 
it tends not to be this very long-term open-ended uh, therapy. It's, it's practical. Um, it's kind of let's get you on your way and see how you do. And then if you need to come back in, come back in. Uh, that's part of the Gottman protocol actually is that you do a piece of work and then they'll come back, you know, in three months or six months and sort of keep momentum going. Um, big problem with relapse, you know, in therapy and especially in couples therapy that nobody's really solved yet. So some of the ways that we're working is really trying to have people keep the, keep this stuff going on their own. So, um, so, so in, as opposed to sort of individual therapy, it can look a lot like coaching, you know, um, from the therapist side of it. Uh, and I, I just enjoy that. I guess it's uh, the, the higher the challenge, the greater the reward. And um, yeah. as you said, I guess individual sessions, there can be a lot of emotion in there. And I guess that's multiplied, not just added when you have two people in there. Um, yeah. I, I'm wondering how uh, there must be some risk, uh, if not in reality, but at least in the perception of the, the couples or either of them, of feeling like the therapist is siding with the man yeah. or the woman. Is that something that comes up? It, you know, what, what does come up is... Um, as Gottman therapists, you know, and if you're a certified Gottman therapist, what you get is a lot of referrals from other couples therapists that, um, from couples that they feel like they can't make any progress with. And so it's something that we do hear a lot from people is that they felt like the therapist sided with one partner over the other. And it's actually the most common reason that couples therapy tends to tank for people is they feel like the therapist took their partner's side against them. So I think one thing that's helpful about um, the Gottman method is like the focus is very much on the relationship between the partners and what each partner is contributing in positive and negative ways. And so we almost are looking at the relationship as the third entity and working with that in the room. And it's a very helpful stance to guard against taking the side of one person over the other, you know. Um, the, the I was going to say the other part of it is that when we're doing assessment and we do the individual sessions, we tend to get a lot of rapport built with each person in those individual sessions. We get to understand where they're coming from and why they may be behaving in ways that, um, that you know are counterproductive but actually make sense given where they've come from and so you know it's really one of one of the benefits of assessment is that you really do have a deeper understanding of where each person is coming from and why they might be behaving in ways that if we hadn't had that information you know would be easy to take the side of their partner against we'll you know we'll say a pattern like criticism you know if somebody feels like they've been shot down for years and their complaints aren't ever addressed it makes sense that they would escalate to criticism. So as a therapist, if you know that, you can sort of be their ally in trying to change a destructive pattern while understanding why they're doing what they're doing. So it's, you know, it tends to be kind of helpful in that way. Yeah, I can see how you'd get to build up that therapeutic relationship and you'd get to see the function behind some of the destructive things that they do, which there's always there's always some function there or else they probably wouldn't do it because it, it caused them pain on some level. And I really like how you look at the, uh, it can seem a bit of a, a jargony term, but the intersubjective space. So what those, what the combination of those interactions is and that's what you're, you're focusing on. Yes, um, that's it exactly, yeah. 
And you mentioned you can get referrals from, say, other couples therapies. How does, I'm not sure, is there a unique selling point about Gottman, the Gottman couples um, therapy or method that dif- distinguishes it from other couples therapies? Well, it's, you know, over in the States here, it, like it, it's it's more a lot more well known, obviously, than it is in Europe, although I think that's really starting to change. So um, I think that the training for Gottman therapy is is pretty rigorous. And so, you know, other therapists know that. So people that therapists that dabble a bit in couples therapy, but haven't had a lot of formal training, like Gottman method, couples therapy sort of seen as the gold standard in terms of how you treat couples you know over here um and so so in that way that's that's kind of where we where we get referrals you know is from from therapists that are not gotten trained yeah it's much more rigorous you mentioned before that you framed it as traditional Gottman therapy does that suggest that it's 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 evolved or changed over time yeah it has and it continues to evolve and change that's the thing you know is you know john gottman says you know once there's there's research if there's empirical data behind it we know it works we'll take it as part of our therapy you know so it's it, it will continue to evolve and change and honestly there's still research is continuing to this day um on gottman method i'm involved with two of the research studies now one is sort of an outcome study um for the effectiveness of Gottman method therapy and then there's another study on a fair recovery using Gottman method um so they're continuously you know really researching fine-tuning evolving it um you know in in that way Hmm. you mentioned there uh, sorry go on Jeanette oh no I was going to say like I think when I was referring to traditional Gottman method I'm referring to sort of what I do, which is to do that four session assessment to then sort of, you know, go on that way. But many therapists, you know, will say they're Gottman informed. So they'll do psychoeducation with people about the four horsemen, for example, or they'll, you know, they'll give out pieces of information uh, about Gottman method without, you know, doing the assessment, without doing it sort of in the formal way. Yeah. Yeah, if you're a Gottman purist. Um, yeah. You mentioned uh, just there about a uh, study on the outcome of its effectiveness. And yeah. Is, what is the effectiveness of it? And I'm wondering how you measure it. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the only outcome study to date is on, uh, there's, a, there's a couple's weekend workshop that is based on everything that we've talked about is a Gottman uh, weekend workshop. And, um, you know, the outcome studies on that are like follow up with couples right after the workshop and then on six month follow up. And, um, it was, I think it's 80, it's either 84 or 86% of the couples who did the workshop said that they made sort of significant progress on a gridlocked area of conflict and felt like that the, you know, the techniques were really helpful for them. So that's pretty good, you know, in terms of mm, just a weekend workshop. Yeah. Um, and so, so the outcome study that's been, that's currently going on is about sort of the ongoing couples therapy. And so they have Gottman therapists in that research study and non-Gottman trained couples therapists in it as well. And so it's just really, um, you know, this it's a research-based therapy. You know, obviously those of us who do it all the time are really sort of convinced of its effectiveness. And um, but we kind of need we need the hard data, you know, because 
because it's research-based. So we want to really know that for sure. Yeah. You mentioned that earlier that there can be high rates of relapse. Is there a number for that? And over, over what period of time might that be measured? Uh, you know, I'm not sure what the numbers are for that. I know it's a, it's a struggle. It's, it's across the whole field of medicine. You know, relapse is obviously a problem. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think some of John's thinking around this comes from another sort of re- well-known researcher, Neil Jacobson, you know, he was a behavioral marital therapist and he, he was the one that did a lot of the research into this and, um, you know, found that, you know, very few couples at 18 month follow-up maintain any of the gains that they made in a behavioral marital therapy program. Um, but it's sort of, uh, you know, it's kind of across the board what we do see this happen, you know, but in terms of numbers, you know, I don't have the, I don't have data on that. I don't know if across the board that's, that's like being studied in, in real detail. We're just coming close to how much time we have for today, Sinead. And I was wondering if, if there was one recommendation you might have for couples, I'm not sure, maybe like a golden rule based on the Gossman method, what would it be? Ah, uh, one golden rule. Mm, I've put well, me on the spot. Yeah, you're putting me on the spot there, which is fine. But um, I would say it's just, you know, that idea, uh, which was the first sort of pattern that emerged in terms of conflict, is sort of that the, if you can slow down your conflict, your conflict is going to feel safer. And if your conflict is safer, it's much easier to be heard and understood and to sort of be in an open mode of receiving information. And so really the golden rule is to kind of slow down conflict, to minimize the four horsemen, to minimize flooding and to be able to repair. So sort of to hit the brakes, try and hit the brakes on conflict if it if you can feel like it's going to escalate that doesn't mean stop talking about it and don't address it it just means really like really try and sort of slow yourself down slow down the interaction as best you can you know uh you'll have a better shot thanks for that Sinead thanks for your time today and sure yeah my pleasure thanks very much all the best okay all right thanks James bye